Welcome to your Active Tech Brief podcast. My name is Luca Pertuzzi, your technology editor. This is my last episode. I would like to thank all my listeners and for those who still want to follow my work, you can do so on X and LinkedIn. This week, we take a look at the Global Digital Compact, speaking with the UN Tech Envoy. For an overview on all things technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website euroactive.com. This is Euractive's Tech Brief Podcast. Today I'm joined by Amandeep Singh Gill, United Nations Envoy on Technology. Hi, Amandeep. Hi, Luca. It's a pleasure be with you. And it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, so the United Nations and your office in particular have been working on a, the Global Digital Compact to be finalized at the Summit of the Future in September. Uh, can you tell us more about this exercise and what you're trying to achieve? So the Global Digital Compact uh, inscribes itself in the context of the Summit of the Future. Uh, so the Summit of the Future uh, was conceived at the time of the 75th anniversary of the United Nations uh, a couple of years ago, uh, where uh, the international community resolved to recommit to multilateralism, uh, to address some priority challenges, uh, and to come together uh, in a more meaningful way to address them. Uh, as part of that Summit of the Future, member states of the United Nations will elaborate a global digital compact uh, to close the digital divides and build an inclusive, open, safe, and secure digital future. Uh, I believe this is a once in a generation opportunity to identify and agree principles, objectives, and actions to strengthen global cooperation on digital technologies for the benefit of all. That's great to hear. Um, you already hinted at some of uh, the priorities, but can you tell us what are you hoping to address at the UN level that cannot be addressed, for example, by member states on their own? As you know, digitalization affects everyone. Uh, a whole of government, whole of society approach uh, is essential. Uh, digitalization also does not respect borders. Uh, both its opportunities uh, and its uh, harms cross boundaries um, and have their locus in different uh, parts of the world. So we need international collaboration, whether it's cybersecurity or addressing misinformation, disinformation uh, online, or it is keeping uh, the internet as an integrated global public good. This requires countries to come together and importantly it requires governments, civil society and the private sector to come together. So the UN is uniquely placed to foster such kind of collaboration across borders and across stakeholders and it's very similar to the kind of work that the UN does on uh, environmental issues, on climate change, now on oceans, so some of these other problems that do not have passports. 
Right. I'm glad you mentioned uh, internet governance um, because uh, in May you published a policy brief in preparation of, of the Global Digital Compact uh, that had some proposals on how to reduce the fragmentation of the, of the internet architecture. Uh, however, from some stakeholders, uh, these were uh, seen as a sort of uh, power grab from the UN in trying to uh, um, sort of centralize what, has, what is a dispersed uh, governance model. Um, and more generally, I mean, what we have seen uh, recently is that there is a lot of uh, suspicion when um, governments uh, try to influence internet governance, uh, as we have seen uh, in, in recent discussions uh, in ITU which is, uh, let's remind the listeners, the UN uh, Telecommunications Agency. So how do you respond to these criticisms? Was this just a misunderstanding? And how do you see this issue going forward? No, of course, it's a misunderstanding. And in some ways, it's a reflection of uh, the general lack of trust uh, among stakeholders. You know, civil society, and governments and the private sector and international organizations. So there is in uh, the, the reality of, the today, of today's world is that there is some lack of trust. So things get misunderstood more often than they should be. Now, in the policy brief that you mentioned, the Secretary General made it very clear uh, explicitly in you know, these words that uh, he is totally committed to the multi-stakeholder governance uh, of the internet. He underlined his support to the Internet Governance Forum and the work of its leadership panel. You know, this is the forum that uh, is a, a forum convened by the UN Secretary General, but it works in a multi-stakeholder manner. Uh, and uh, we've been continuing the distributed model of governance of the internet, uh, supporting it, uh, in fact, helping it become more effective uh, and more consequential. Uh, the internet, fortunately, continues to be governed uh, through the efforts of uh, uh, the tech community, the civil society, and, and other actors. Um, ICANN, the Internet Engineering Task Force, you know, these are organizations that are uh, working to make sure that, you know, the internet protocols are healthy, that, you know, we can be connected to each other from uh, uh, anywhere in the world at any time. So I want to reassure the listeners that there is no power grab. Uh, there is no intention at all uh, to come in the way of what's working very well. In fact, we have to make sure that some of the more sensitive issues in the digital domain that we are dealing with, data and AI, human rights online, um, uh, issues related to misinformation, disinformation, they can be handled in, in ways in which, you know, we protect the uh, governance of the internet. So internet governance, its forums, the mechanics of it, you know, we should not overload them with political issues because with politics naturally, because governments are sovereign and uh, the international system is based on uh, the interaction of sovereign governments. So with politics, you know, government's role will come in. So we have to make sure that the internet governance area is apolitical as much as possible. 
is uh, driven by the technical community in a multi-stakeholder manner in participation with others without getting into political areas. And the nuance in the Secretary General's suggestions in the policy brief is that he would like those political areas to be addressed in a regular manner without coming in the way of the governance of the internet, multi-stakeholder governance of the internet. Just to clarify one point, and, and once and for all, um, uh, part of uh, this um, skepticism that you were mentioning before comes from the fact that we have seen uh, proposals for internet reform in ITU, uh, like the new IP. Uh, so I understand that in these technical bodies that you mentioned, uh, Western companies are usually overrepresented compared to uh, the Global South, and that there is a push from the Global South to be more involved in internet governance, uh, and, and, and they can do that better in ITU because, of course, uh, they don't have as many companies as, as the West has at the moment. So do you think ITU should be more involved, or is it even the right place to discuss uh, internet governance going forward? You know, the ITU is a specialized agency of the United Nations. The United Nations is, is an umbrella with a number of agencies, funds, and programs. Uh, and, uh, you know, its core is embodied in the Secretariat, led by the Secretary General. So the ITU has existed for a long time, even before the United Nations came into being. And as I said, it's a specialized agency. So it looks at uh, standards for telecommunications, it looks at uh, cybersecurity issues around networks, looks at capacity building in those areas. Uh, and um, uh, it has its role to play. Um, and uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, the, um, the concern that you have described, you know, it was there some time ago. Uh, you know, it keeps coming up once in a while. You know, there was a proposal at the ITU Council uh, some months ago. Uh, but those proposals do not have the, um, uh, the backing of uh, the majority of the uh, members of the ITU. Uh, and as I said, you know, internet governance is something that's being handled separately in other forums. Uh, so when something is working well, when it's being handled by other competent forums, uh, so um, the need for it to be addressed in another forum an intergovernmental forum, you know, uh, whether it's the ITU or somewhere else, uh, does not quite, you know, appear uh, logical uh, to me. Uh, so um, I think the issue here is not to confuse the mandates of different UN organizations. They have a specific area of focus, some areas of activities that have been approved by uh, their member states. Uh, now, my role as the tech envoy, as the UN uh, tech envoy, is to ensure that we have some coherence and coordination across different organizations. Many UN organizations, agencies, funds, and programs are active in the digital domain. It's ITU, the Office of the High Commissioner of Human Rights, UNESCO, UNDP, uh, and so on. But that doesn't mean that you know one agency has the mandate to look at everything. You know, that is not what the member states have meant. That's not what their governance bodies have decided. So we have to be careful that on political grounds, we don't keep shifting issues around 
uh, and that we deal with them in a coherent, coordinated uh, manner. And in fact, that again brings me back to some of the Secretary General's ideas in the policy brief uh, on having more coherence and coordination across the system without creating new bureaucracies or without coming in the way of um, uh, existing mechanisms that are working well. Uh, thanks, Amandeep. I think that was very clear. And I think it, it goes along to say that um, the Chinese new IP proposal was a solution in search for a problem. Um, but moving on now, uh, because uh, one of the hot issues in, in the past year has been artificial intelligence, and the UN has recently set up an AI advisory body to develop proposals to set up a governance structure uh, for this uh, disruptive technology. I understand that uh, this uh, body will develop some um, yeah, some, some proposals of AI governance at the international level. So uh, this will happen uh, before the Global Digital Compact. Uh, but can you give us uh, an idea of uh, wh what is on the table at the moment and how do you see this discussion on AI governance uh, developing in the UN but also outside the UN? This is a very, very important area. Uh, developing very rapidly and uh, governments, um, civil society and ordinary citizens uh, sometimes feel bewildered by the pace of development. Um, and uh, since uh, the area is in its infancy in some ways, there is also a tension between uh, how much you want to uh, regulate and how much you want innovation to just you know uh, go along unhindered. Now, uh, the Secretary General, when he set up this uh, advisory body on uh, AI uh, last year, uh, he uh, intended to contribute to the international national debates that are going on in uh, this area. He also intended to ensure that um, uh, the perspective of developing countries is brought into this discussion and that our considerations are driven uh, by a public interest uh, perspective. So he wants to make the conversations on AI governance more inclusive and more balanced. Balanced in terms of what are the opportunities uh, compared with what are the risks. Balanced also in terms of not just looking at opportunities and benefits, but what is required in terms of uh, enablers to realize those opportunities and balanced also with respect to risks in terms of what are the challenges we have today, for instance, lack of government capacity in addressing those risks. So this is the approach that the advisory body has taken. Uh, 39 individuals uh, coming from 33 countries, all five regions of the globe, from the private sector, from governments, from civil society, independent academic and technical experts, uh, and working over uh, two months, uh, uh, a large number of uh, meetings, 400 odd conversations, uh, they have produced an interim report, uh, which lays out the, this comprehensive balance perspective on opportunities and enablers, risks and challenges, and also the forms and principles of governance of AI. This last area is very important because 
many people are talking about a potential agency on AI or a network of international institutions on AI. And the advisory body took the approach that first we need to look for what are the functions, the minimum uh, essential functions that need to be performed at the international level on AI governance. In addition to what is being done nationally and regionally, say the EU AI Act, or what is being done by the private sector, you know, the voluntary commitments that they made at the White House, etc. So what is this third area where, you know, we need uh, uh, some uh, functions to be performed? And the interim body has listed seven of these functions and also five essential principles that should underpin those functions. Uh, and in its next phase of work, it will look at how can those It'll, of course, refine its work, it'll engage widely, it'll look at how can those functions be transformed into form or forms. So this is uh, like a Bauhaus approach, you know, logical uh, approach, uh, form follows function. And I must say in the month or so that the interim bodies report has been out there, this has received a lot of support from member states, from private sector, uh, from other uh, stakeholders in civil society etc. And maybe let me just end by emphasizing three of those functions to make it concrete for your readers. You know, what does this mean uh, for your listeners? So uh, first one is a regular horizon scanning function. We need to understand what's the direction of technology, what are its implications, and we need to understand that in a kind of a neutral scientific manner where it's not the interest of one country or a few companies or one region. Uh, a little bit like the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, uh, which produces these reports that have allowed governments and other stakeholders to kind of you know, build policy on a scientific uh, foundation. Of course, we need to do it much more rapidly and um, in a multi-stakeholder fashion because AI is a different beast, uh, but that's an essential function. Likewise, there is a function related to capacity development, particularly in the global south. You had mentioned in an earlier question uh, the perception that's there in the global south that we are left out of these discussions. So we need to make sure that the capacity is there to realize the benefits, you know, whether it's compute, data, or human resource. And there is international collaboration uh, to, uh, you know, fine-tune AI models in context to solve the developmental challenges uh, and the third area, the final area that I like to highlight is that of interoperability so that safety standards, risk management frameworks uh, can work across borders uh, so that there are no gaps because, you know, you may have very high standards, very high level of implementation in one region, but if it's not kind of uh, uh, followed in a similar manner based on similar principles, similar approaches in another region, the problem will not Disappear. Right. Since you mentioned the um, EU AI Act, uh, these are, as of course, uh, kept a lot of us uh, busy in Brussels. Uh, but I just wanted to uh, gather your perspective on the EU because uh, the European Union has uh, tried to present itself as the world's uh, regulator on, in, in the digital area. Uh, setting the standards with uh, regulation on data protection, content moderation, and now AI. So 
How do these uh, efforts uh, from the EU translate at the UN level? And the, do you do you see the EU as a positive contributor to uh, setting global standards in this area, or are there are we affected by a sort of uh, Brussels-centric syndrome whereby we overestimate the impact of EU policies? Right. So uh, from where I sit, I see. Uh, a positive impact of EU's actions, EU's initiatives. Um, if you look at data protection, so the GDPR has set a standard, global standard, uh, even in uh, countries far removed from the European Union, in India, in China, in Brazil, the GDPR has had an impact. Uh, so you literally see sections of the GDPR translated into um, uh, legal frameworks outside of the European Union. Um, in the US, uh, private companies have endeavored to um, uh, implement uh, GDPR. So it has had that positive impact around the world. Uh, and I don't buy that this theory that uh, EU over-regulates and therefore it is behind on innovation. You know, you hear uh, uh, sniggers around it you in meetings, you know, people kind of say this with a smile, etc. But I think it's an easy argument. The reasons why European companies may not have built the kind of tech giants that you see uh, in the US or in China are not related to regulation. You know, they are related to other factors um, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the innovation ecosystems, the business models that work in certain geographies, uh, uh, the linkage with the analog economy. So I'm skeptical about that. Now, coming to AI, of course, you know, the, the, we still have to see the final uh, stages of the uh, EU AI Act, its implementation, its entry into force, etc. cetera. Um, and uh, the jury is still out uh, on, uh, you know, its impact on the rest of the world on um, uh, innovation within the EU. Um, and I believe uh, there is scope uh, for the approach that the EU has taken to be a type of a gold standard. It may not be a replication of the GDPR example, but I think in this case, um, it'll have to be perhaps a more networked response. Uh, so I see uh, kind of uh, an opportunity for the EU, US, China, Brazil, India, other geographies to work together. And this is one of the strands of thought in the interim report of the Secretary General's advisory body on AI, a kind of uh, interoperable network of institutions uh, with some role for the UN in terms of, you know, convening, leveraging its convening power uh, in terms of, you know, uh, advancing those neutral uh, political uh, assessments and in terms of uh, addressing the Global South's aspirations uh, for taking advantage of the AI opportunity while managing uh, its uh, risks. So a long answer to say that um, this is, uh, uh, is not uh, simplistic uh, uh, to look at this as, you know, it's pro-regulation, anti-regulation, or the Brussels effect translates into a, a kind of a global outcome automatically, etc. Just to complete on this point, Amandeep, um, because the, the EU has 
has passed the is is about to pass the AI Act, but uh, we have also seen quite a comprehensive law from China on artificial intelligence. So my question, I guess, is. Um, at the international level, do you see uh, competing narratives in terms of how the digital space should be regulated from uh, the EU, China, and possibly other um, other actors, or is the EU pretty much a lone voice uh, in, in trying to become sort of uh, to, to be the standard setter in this area? Uh, so uh, no. Um, I think if you look at the U.S. executive order, if you look at China's interim measures uh, on uh, advanced AI, yeah, and if you look at the EU AI Act, uh, I see similarities. I see more similarities than differences. And different uh, geographies are going ahead, not because they want to compete in the global AI governance race. It's because they see a need uh, the private sector is putting out these products. It's moving fast. Uh, they see how powerful this technology is and the implications, you know, in the U.S., for instance, the national security implications have uh, caught attention. Uh, you know, China, other kinds of EU on human rights, on exclusion, etc. So different geographies are looking at this from the perspective of implication that they are most concerned about and responding uh, and uh, in the UN, for us, you know, in the interim body, we did a kind of gap analysis of nine existing uh, responses, including these three. It was interesting to see the similarities and the differences. Uh, one thing that struck me was that in each geography, the responses are based on an existing foundation of law, norms, and values. Uh, for In the EUA Act, you have all these references to existing ways of handling things, including, you know, market concentration, uh, the uh, market surveillance capacity that some regulators have, you know, how do we transpose that into the AI domain? In China, you see the content management side of it, you know, how Chinese legal measures on that have informed some of the AI interim measures, uh, 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 you know, uh, formulations. And likewise, in the U.S., you see that the uh, enforcement is based on the defense production uh, uh, regulatory uh, framework. So each geography is basing it in their own kind of experience, lived experience. Now, I suspect, you know, the rest of the world will also do something like that. But the urgency is making sure that there is interoperability, that we have a common foundation of international law international human rights law, international humanitarian law, the UN Charter, some other principles, uh, so that you know we don't create those regulatory imbalances, those gaps which can be exploited uh, and which can also lead to geopolitical competition. So today, you know, there's a narrow window of opportunity to avoid a new Cold War on AI, a kind of, you know, beggar thy neighbor, uh, uh, approach on governance. You know, you already see this with content. You know, some jurisdictions are tempted to take away copyright protections so that they can uh, stimulate the development of local large language models. Um, you know, I am conflicted about that. You know, I understand the need to build 
diversity in large language models so that the language cultural experience of different countries can be captured in these powerful uh, new generation models. But at the same time, you know, if we have a race to the bottom with regard to data protection, copyright and IP protection, then that may come back to haunt us. Amandeep Gill is the United Nations tech envoy. Thank you, Amandeep. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. I'm Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening. <laughs>